I want to start today with a statement that has become an increasingly, uh, it's become increasingly, I've become increasingly aware of it over the last probably 15 years of my Christian journey. As I've become an adult, I've gotten into ministry, I, 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 my, my living is made, I, my whole life revolves around studying the scriptures and, and speaking it to people. And, and as I've become more uh, aware and accustomed to reading the scripture, this one question has become more and more uh, in the forefront of my mind. And, and it's, this, it's this statement, this question, it's, it's kind of a tension that I've had to kind of navigate with. And you might, you might know where I'm going with this. And it's this, either, either Jesus is a liar or when it comes to living the life that he said I would live, I'm doing it wrong. Either the things that he told us about what it would be like to follow him, and I'm not just saying like tomorrow, I'm saying in the here and now, either the things that he said about how our lives would be, either, those that, either that wasn't true, either it was gross exaggeration for the sake of making a point, it was, maybe it was hyperbolic, it was, he was using hyperbole, or maybe he was just a lunatic that didn't know what he was talking about, either that's the case or... I'm missing something because there's a lot on the table between what he said and my experience. Has anybody ever felt that way before? Especially as you get to read the Bible and you let the Bible speak for itself, not your experience or you let the, your church experience or your life experience start to speak. A lot of the time we call our life experience the truth of God and we, and we actually filter the word of God through our life experience. But if you just stop that for a minute and you take the word of God and you start to read it as it's speaking and you listen to the words of Jesus, you can't conclude anything short of this, that, that Jesus' intention for your life, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've placed your faith in him, then his intention for your life, it, it can be typified in one word, fruitfulness. That your life would produce fruit. Like I, I'm not talking about bananas here. I'm talking about the evidence of the fact that you follow Jesus, that it will be observable for you and for other people, that, that you, you will be noticeable, that your life will actually produce evidence that you are a follower of Jesus. And I mean, this isn't just, we're not just talking about small things. Like, like Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, he, he was talking to his disciples and encouraging them. And he said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm like the vine. I'm the vine, I'm the, I'm the main kind of driver of life and you are like the branches and as you connect yourself to me and you integrate your life in me, what the product is gonna be is that you're gonna bear much fruit that comes from me. You're gonna start to bear the fruit that I empower you to bear. He actually said later on, he said, it is to the glory of my father, like the glory of God is hanging on this, to the glory of my father that you bear not just fruit, but he said much fruit. Like, I'm not talking about one little thing kind of growing off your life because you follow Jesus. Like, your life will look and be typified by fruitfulness. And he said it's not just much fruit, it's fruit that remains. Not stuff that's here today and snuffed out tomorrow by certain circumstances or things you go through. It's a fruitfulness that is eternal, that stays forever and ever and ever, abounding and flourishing more and more and more. These are the words of Jesus. He talked about a fruitfulness of your soul. A fruitfulness of your soul, of, of joy and, and satisfaction and engagement. He, he talked about how, you know, in, in all of our lack, that he came to actually help us bear fruit. If, if you ever heard the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' great sermon where he preached to thousands of people, he actually opened his sermon, the opener of a sermon. If you're not paying attention, you should, because it's important. He actually got up, and then here's how he started. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. I've come to bring riches to your lack in spirit. I've come to bring blessing and power to your lack. He goes on, blessed are those who mourn. I've come to bring strength in your season of mourning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You just long for things to be made right. I've come to make it right. And he gets up and he announces, I'm here to bring fruitfulness in all the areas where you have nothing. 
And he, I mean, he adds to it, y'all. Like he goes on and on and on. At one point, he's talking to his disciples and he says in John 14, it's insane. Like what he says, he says to his disciples, he tells them, I'm going to go, I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to leave and I'm going to send you uh, the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And they're freaking out. Look what he says. I don't think this added to their, I think this actually added to their stress. Look what he said to them. He said in John 14, that I, that I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Have you read the stuff that Jesus has done? Like, does that not make you say, what? And even greater works, because I am going to the Father. Like, these are bold statements. So Jesus isn't just saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a fruitfulness of your soul. Like, okay, we can kind of understand, like, that, that satisfaction thing, like, where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and if you come to me, you'll never hunger or thirst again. We can maybe go there that he can give us the feeling of fruitfulness and satisfaction, but Jesus takes it way beyond feeling. It's much more than a feeling. More than a feeling. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Some of you 80s people are going to have that stuck in your head now for all afternoon. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's more than a feeling, though. He actually says, like, it's going to be evidence. He said the, the spiritual fruitfulness is going to be, it's going to overflow, and people will be able to say, ah, that's a follower of Jesus. I can tell because that person walks in joy all the time. I can tell because that person has great self-control. I've seen it evidence. I've seen the fruit of it. He talked about the fruit of the spirit, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, self-control, that we would have those things. And he even took it beyond that. He said that your life will be so blessed that people will be blessed by just being up next to you. Understand that. Like God wants to bless and empower your life so much that people are blessed just by being in proximity to you. That's what God has in mind. That's what he meant when Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, think about your life like this. You're, you're the salt of the earth. In all the blandness, in all the, 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 the blandness of, the, of the, the, the world that you live in, you're like the salt that brings flavor. You're going to stand out. It's going to be, woo, there, there's a Christian. They say, okay, maybe, maybe I'll help you understand it like this. You're, you're the light of the world. You're like a city that's way up on a hill that people can see for miles, that's lit on a hill in the darkness of the world. It is elevated and head and shoulders above the rest, radiating the glory and goodness of God for all to see. This is the standard that Jesus said would typify our lives. Said another way, Jesus said our lives would be amazing. They would be extraordinary. I, now, now, understand, I'm not talking about the details of your life. Jesus never said you would not go through difficulty, but the way in which you go through difficulty, he did say, will be very different. And that you will bear much fruit, says in Psalm chapter 1. It says the one who, who, who meditates, who follows the word of God, who, who ingests and holds to and integrates the word of God. It says that he is like a tree planted by streams of living water whose leaf never withers, who's, who bears its fruit in its season. And it says, in all he does, in all she does, he prospers. In all we do. So, so if you're like me, let's just, so this is what Jesus has said. So either the scripture's not true or there's things that we have left on the table. And I've come to believe that. And over the last maybe decade of my life, I've been looking increasingly for keys to help close the gap because I refuse to believe that the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am truth. I refuse to believe the one that said, I have come to, to seek and save the lost and offer myself as ransom for the many. I refuse to believe that the one who said, I am not a man that I can lie. I refuse to believe the one that said, I will die and on the third day rise again. And then he did die and on the third day rise again. I refuse to believe that one word, one syllable, one utterance that he said was anything but true. And so the question I want to ask, and this is the purpose of this series, is what are we missing? Like, what are the things that we do? Because I don't think this is an issue of we need God to do something. I think Jesus has already done it and already given us these things. I think, and I've found this to be true in my own life, that there are keys and things in which I can do and posture myself and actuate myself that actually let me walk in the increase and the fruitfulness that God wants me to have in this life. 
And that's what we're going to do with this series. And so if you're here for the next few weeks, what we're going to do actually is for the next seven weeks, we are going to look at different keys, different things that we can find throughout the scriptures that God has given us as his people that actually helps us unlock the gifts and the blessing and the power, that, that, that nourishment that comes from the vine. We're going to learn how to abide, how to get in there and actually receive from God what he has. How many of you are tired of the, of the big gap between what you read in the Bible and what you see in your life? Well, the, the goal here, and I believe what God wants to do is to help us begin to close that. We aren't going to arrive, but I'm praying for a big step forward. Amen? So today I want to talk about one simple principle, and this is the one that I believe has to start first. Everything else is not going to be in sequence. We're going to talk about different things over the next several weeks. But this one, I believe, is the groundwork. It lays the groundwork. It's, it's, the, it's the way that we need to posture ourselves and what we need to focus on so that all the other things can come. I want to talk to you today about the key of hope. The key of hope. Here's the, here's the principle I want to say. If you're writing notes, this is a great series to take notes. This is a great series to lean in. This is a great series to follow along. And if I have anybody after church come up to me and say, oh, that was so good, and I just wanted to say amen, and, and you didn't say amen, I'm going to be mad. All right? So, so if you feel the Spirit prompting you and saying, yes, that's true, or preach, pastor, or amen, please do it. Help a brother out, okay? All right, here's the principle. Present power is attached or connected to future promise. That learning to hope right is actually a key, it is integral in us actually accessing the power that God has for us in this life. It's actually the key is beginning by learning how to hope right. Let me say it like this, here's the key. The experience of power and satisfaction, the beginning of the connection to the fruitfulness to Jesus, the beginning of it, it comes in our lives today when we learn how to turn our hope to tomorrow. When we learn actually how to turn our hope to the reality of the coming kingdom. To turn the key, to turn our ultimate focus from the here to the heavens. From the, the temporal to the eternal. From this reality to the greater reality that is the kingdom of heaven. The eternal, focusing on the eternal, actually unlocks that power in the present. Some of you aren't sure what I'm talking about. Let me, let me, let me break it down for you. Let's look at some scripture. Colossians chapter 3. Paul says it like this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. So he's talking about believers. He's talking about people like you and me, like most of us, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, my prayer today is that you would do that. But the bulk of us here have already made that decision. Jesus is Lord. I believe in him for my salvation. So he's saying, since then, you have been raised with Christ. We are raised with Christ by faith, by putting our hope in him. So here's what you do. Here's now your job. Notice, Jesus did his job, the salvation of the world, salvation of your soul. Now watch your job. Set your hearts. Not Jesus will set your heart. You set your heart on things, say it, above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He goes further. Not just your longing, but your focus. Look what he says. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Watch this, verse 4. Talking about when Christ who is your life on that day when he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Notice the, the, the connection and correlation between learning how to put your hope in heaven and, and being actuated to grow up in the, in the faith in the here and now. This whole section of Colossians 3 is all about us learning how to grow up in the likeness of Christ, being rooted and built up. That's what this is all about. And he says it begins by changing your focus from the here and now to the there and then. That we actually live from the reality of what is to come. Today's great power, say, I'll say it like this. Today's great power is drawn from tomorrow's promise. For the believer, the strength and stability of your life is, is connected to how much you can root your focus and your affections and your attentions and your priorities on the promise of forever. How much can you take your focus from right here 
to there. Let me illustrate it like this. Uh, I have three kids and I have a son. My oldest son is Aiden. And I remember when I was helping Aiden learn how to ride a two-wheel bike. Anybody taught a kid how to bike? It's fun. It's, a, it's still like a rite of passage as a, as a parent. And I was helping him learn how to bike. And we took, the, we took the training wheels off. And he gets on the bike and he starts, I mean, he knew the mechanics. He knew how to pedal. He knew how to balance-ish. And he knew, he knew how to like steer because he'd been riding around on training wheels for a long time. And so we took, the, we took the training wheels off and we let him start. I let him start to drive. I pushed him and, and he starts going. And I'll tell you, it was really wobbly and herky-jerky at first. Like he was doing this, right, and just going all over the place, right? I feel like my brother-in-law, who's our tech director, is going to just chop that up. And this is going to be online as a gift. That's great. And so, so he's, 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 he's driving and he's falling and he's, he's swerving and, and hitting every bump and getting knocked over. And I noticed something. The reason that was happening wasn't because he didn't really know how to balance properly. It wasn't because he didn't know how to pedal or steer. It was because his focus was on his front tire. He was looking at his front tire trying to navigate where to go. And he was, so every pothole that would come or every patch of gravel that would come, he was just trying to react like this. And so he was driving with this kind of narrow scope and it was making it impossible for him to have any stability. You see where I'm going with this? Some of us live our Christian lives with this focus on the ground in front of us. You're focused right here. It's like you have blinders up and you are just looking at what's right in front of you. And so you have no strength or stability that God wants to give you in every season and circumstance because, not because you lack anything, it's not because you don't know how, what you're doing, it's because you're focused on the wrong things. You're focused right here. And I'm convinced of this. I believe that the devil's number two strategy in your life is to get you to never think about heaven. Some of you say, well, what's his number one? His number one is for you to think that God doesn't exist at all. But if he can't convince you that there is no God, what he'll convince you is don't worry about that. Don't think about that. This is all that matters. You just ride your little bike of life right here. You focus on what's right in front of you, and we'll go from there. And that's what he wants to do. And why? Because as soon as a pothole comes up, as soon as you go through a season of loss or difficulty or financial pressure or marriage struggle, you're, you're, you're living reactive. But what, what we all know this from driving. When you start to look further down the road, what happens? You're stronger. You're able to anticipate things coming. You can move with how things are going. This is what Jesus wants us to learn, that we have got to learn how to focus on what's later. Because when the weight or the, 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 the value of what is to come is greater than, than the weight or value of what is in front of you, we can get through anything. Maybe to use the old proverb, all's well that ends well. You know this to be true. You've seen it in your own life, maybe even short term. Like, you, let's, let's do something superficial. Like, if you, you know you got a big dinner coming up at supper, you can skip lunch, correct? Or you're good with a couple carrots or Cheetos, whatever is your favorite orange thing to eat. You're, 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 you're good, right? Because why? Because I know at supper time I'm going to get it. God wants us to live our lives that way. The enemy wants us to focus right here, and God wants us to make our focus on the forever and ever and ever. And when we do that, we start to find a strength in the here and now. The key to our experience of power and satisfaction, it actually begins by setting our minds on heaven, on things above. Look at, again, how Peter says it. Are you tracking with me? Y'all are quiet. First Peter, look at, let's read it again. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. Hope is key. Hope contains life-giving power if you hope in something that will live forever. If your hope is in something that is dying, you have a dying hope. If your hope is in a human being, your hope will die someday. If your hope is in the stock market, your hope will die someday. If your hope is in your retirement, your hope will die someday. If your hope is in your family, your hope will die someday. But if your hope is in Jesus Christ, it lives forever and ever and ever, and nothing can change it or take it. Amen? Amen. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, so this is, this is it. Now here's how we actuate it. Here's how you turn the key. 
We think about an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded. So do you see that connection right there? He goes from talking about heaven and the hope we have in our inheritance to come to what God is doing to, for us in the here and now. He's shielding you, that, that they're connected. Oftentimes we think that, that heaven and here are two disconnected realities, but they're not. As we anchor ourselves or we plumb ourselves into the reality of heaven, it actually draws power, shieldedness in the here and now. Look what it says. We're shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Because you know, I have a hope that can't be taken away no matter what happens. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. Now, I know some of you have been through great trials. I suspect it's probably not been on par with what Peter was writing to. Peter was actually writing to Christians whose families were being torn apart by Roman persecution and they were being burned at the stake. Like watching your children being burned at the stake. Trials. And he said, don't focus on that. Focus on what is yours that can never be burned up, can never be taken away. Look at it again, 13. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed. Hope for tomorrow brings us power today. Has anybody ever found that to be true? I know some of you have gone through some difficult circumstances, and if it wasn't for the promise of heaven, if it wasn't for the promise of what is to come, you would have been powerless in that moment. Maybe C.S. Lewis said it the best way. Look, look at how C.S. Lewis said it. He said in Mere Christianity, one of my favorite books of all time. You should read it if you have not read it. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. Do you know what the theological virtues are? I didn't either. I had to look it up. So the theological virtues are faith, hope, and? You read it. See, you did know it. You just didn't know it. Faith, hope, and love. Watch what, watch what Lewis says. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. Some of you who aren't believers here today, you're already thinking that, oh, here go the Christians detaching themselves from the real world, just taking it in their airy-fairy heaven talk. No, it's, that's not what this is. This isn't escapism. This isn't wishful thinking. Watch this. But one of the things a Christian is actually meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is or just disengage from it. If you actually read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world are the ones that thought the most of the next. There's a connection. Some of you think I'm preaching about heaven just to get you off the hook for this, this life. No, no, no. It actually hooks you in for this life to be able to begin to think of heaven. Watch what he says. The apostles themselves who set out on foot in the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get some earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. See, we actually draw power in the present because we, our great hope is actually in, in a place, in a time that can never be touched. This is the stuff that is, has, has empowered Christians for thousands of years now. This is what made it possible for, for missionaries 100 years ago to pack a coffin and sail across the ocean to go to Africa to bring the gospel. It was because I know I'll never see my family again until I get to heaven. But I know I'll get to heaven and I'll see them forever and ever and ever. It gives you a strength to do what you could not do. If you're focused right here, you cannot live the life that Jesus wants. You will not bear much fruit. The deepest root is actually rooted in the kingdom of heaven. It's in what's to come. Many of our lives are not prospering. And when I use the word prosper, don't drum up what the world would qualify as prosperity. That prosperity is our word and we're taking it back. Prosperity means, it means to be fruitful. It doesn't mean that you're going to have seven figures in the bank account. It may, but it might not. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Prosperity means that you will not lack. It means that you will lack nothing, that, that you have all that you need and then some because God wants to bless others through you. That's what prosperity is. But many of our lives are not prospering because we're living right here. So, so we have got to learn how to turn up hope. How to, in, in the moments of our lives, when we make our decisions, 
when we go through difficulty, when we, when we, when we live our day-to-day lives, even in the humdrum mundane, we have got to learn how to actually set our hope, turn the key of hope and live in the key of hope and actually set our minds on heaven because from that perspective, we, we engage everything else. It is so crucial. So just for the last 19 minutes and 57 seconds that I have, y'all are looking at the clock now. Don't look at the clock. Ah. Here's what I want to do just for a few minutes. I want to just help you turn up your hope, to actually take your focus, to give you some handles from here to here that you can start to navigate this life by getting excited about heaven. Listen, God wants you to have heaven on your mind. It is our great reward and our great gift. He wants you to long for it. He wants you to dream of it. He wants you to think about it. He wants it on your mind because it gives us power. The opposite, when you get hope wrong, it's what brings weakness into your life. The Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Twelve of you have read that one. You should read your Bible more. Some of you, if you don't have a Bible and you're new to this whole thing, we'll give you a Bible. We want you to have it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. A lot of us are sick and weak because we've placed our hope in something that we keep having to reset and table. Well, I guess I can't hope in that relationship. I guess I can't put my hope in that thing or this job or that thing. As you have to defer your hope, it makes you sicker and sicker and sicker. But as you place your hope in something that will never be deferred, never taken away, never perish, rust or fade, you gain life. You see how important this is? I feel like I'm preaching harder than you're responding. All right. Write these down. Here, just three realizations you have to have. We're going to move super fast. Three realizations about the key of hope. First thing is this. Number one, we flourish through hope when we realize that heaven is our home. Heaven is actually our home, and it is a greater reality. If you want to write a keyword, write down greater. The Bible actually talks about heaven over 2,000 times from beginning to end, Old Testament about 1,700 times, a little over 300 times in the New Testament. References heaven not just as a kind of, you know, ethereal reality, but it's actually a place, and it's the dominion of God and where his rule and reign is unhindered. That's what heaven is, and it speaks of it as a real place, but more importantly for you and me, It speaks of it as our home. If you are a Christian and a follower of Jesus, I don't care if your passport says Canada or United States or Nigeria or Korea or or French Village or whatever it says, that you are a temporary resident. Your home is actually in heaven. Forever and ever and ever and ever. That is your home. Hebrews 13 says, for this world is not our permanent home. It is so important that we understand this this life just feels like it's everything, doesn't it? James says this life is a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's just like a, a, like a, a flower in a field that it's up one day, it wilts the next, and then it's gone and no one remembers it. I know that sounds like bad, now, bad news to you. And if you don't have your hope in heaven, that is bad news. Your life is a vapor. But if your hope is in heaven, that is, not, that is not the reality. My life will live on forever and ever and ever in the kingdom of heaven. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly, eagerly await a savior from there. Heaven is your home. Heaven is our ultimate home. Think about this. It's the forever home. First Thessalonians 4 verse 17 says, we will be with the Lord forever. And actually, Paul tells us that we're supposed to encourage one another with that truth. Did you know we as Christians are commanded to encourage one another about the hope of heaven? Like to, to, to encourage one another. Paul says it great. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 15, talking about heaven being the greater reality. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable, the temporary, must clothe itself in the imperishable. The mortal with immortality. When the perishable is enclosed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. What does that mean? What does it mean for death? Like, like what is he describing there? He is describing heaven as a greater reality, not the lesser. I think a lot of the time we got to confront a myth here. A lot of the time we think about heaven, we think about it as a downgrade, don't we? Let me lead the way. I remember being a kid. I grew up in church. I remember hearing 
Actually, I think, I think I see my pastor here from when I was a kid. So, Pastor Bradley. I remember hearing sermons, not from you, sir, but I remember hearing sermons <laughs> about heaven or hearing people talk about heaven. And for me, like, like, like what I was envisioning was like, man, it sounds like heaven sucks. <laughs> right? Like, like it's this downgrade. Like, I, like that, this, this disembodied thing where you're floating through eternity and you've got wings and a harp. I don't even play the harp. And you're like on a, you're on a cloud eating Philadelphia cream cheese and getting, getting, getting cracker dust on it. And, this is in you. and the worst part was I heard things about, and all we'll do forever and ever is worship. And I was like, so I got to like sit in church forever and ever. And the preacher doesn't know when to wrap it up. <laughs> really, like, any, I used to have anxiety thinking about dying and go to heaven. The only reason I wanted to go to heaven because I didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> that, um, that is not a joke. Truly, some of, you, some of you think about it right now. For you, heaven is the lesser of two evils. Like, I don't want hell, so I'll take that. But you don't long for it as though it is better. It is the greater reality. A lot of the time we think about this life as this is real. This is flesh and blood. It's quantifiable. We can measure it and touch it and feel it. This is the real stuff. Not, not as the Bible speaks. The Bible says this is the dream world. That's what it means when Paul says death is swallowed up in victory. You've, ha you've had that experience before. Not, not that you've died and gone to heaven, but you know what it feels like to have one reality swallowed up by another one. The, the best example is when you're dreaming. Have you ever been in the dream in that moment? You, you, there was no convincing you that this was not real, correct? Anybody ever woke up from a dream that it was so real, your emotions were connected, you might have been crying, you might have been terrified. It was real in the moment until you woke up and what happened? That dream was swallowed up in a greater reality. This is how the Bible speaks of heaven. It's this greater reality. It's more real. It's everything enhanced. It's, it's your life. It's earth 2.0. It's, it's the greater reality. It's not just greater. You got to get this though. It's better. It's better. If you're writing notes down, write this down. Heaven, we flourish through the hope, through hope when we realize heaven isn't just our home, but it's our reward. So when I speak about home, I'm speaking about that sense that we all have a longing for peace, don't we? We all have a longing to belong, to be accepted, to be known, and to know others. We long for community and safety and peace. That's what the longing for home is. And the Bible says that will be in heaven. But it's not just talking about the fact that you'll be finally at peace. It actually speaks about heaven as your great reward. It's not just a greater reality, it's better. Like the language that, that the Bible uses about heaven, it grasps at straws trying to explain to you how incredible the heavenly reality is. And if you think of heaven as a downgrade, you aren't taking seriously what the Bible says about heaven. This is, the, the first Christians were so excited about heaven. If you read the scriptures, like they're thinking about Jesus coming back any moment. They're focused on it. They actually had a saying and a greeting. When Christians greeted one another, they would say, Maranatha. Maranatha means come quickly, Lord Jesus. It means we know, it's not that we hate this life, we just know that this one's way better. Bring it. And if in your heart you don't long for Jesus to come now, you haven't taken seriously how amazing heaven is. You think of it as a downgrade. Like, like, like this is how practical I'll go here. And if you've got kids, earmuffs. I've had some people come up to me, and I've had this thought before too, so let me just say. I've had some people come up and say, is there sex in heaven? Yeah? Have you ever thought that? And then I'll, I have the thought, like, well, I don't know. What they're, what they're really saying is, if there's not, eh. <laughs> right? Isn't that, that's what they're really saying. And here's the deal. I understand what you're saying, but you're already, you're still viewing heaven through this, like, this lens of what won't be there, of what, what we're losing. Heaven is simply and only and utterly gain. That's all it is. And so if there isn't sex in heaven, let me just go there for a second. The God who created it and created something that is great and something that we love in its proper context, something that we love, if he was brilliant enough to create that in a fallen world, 
then I don't know if there's sex in heaven, but whatever there is, is going to be way better. And that is to take the, the scriptures seriously about heaven. Heaven is not a downgrade. The, the scriptures just, they, 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 they grasp trying to explain it. Like Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross and the thief said, hey, would you remember me? Would you remember me coming to your kingdom? And he said, today you will be with me, not in a place slightly different than this, not in a place that kind of stinks, not in another version of this. He says, you will be with me. And he used the word that he knew the thief would understand in paradise, in paradise. Like, like it says, the psalmist says, at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. Heaven is a reward, y'all. Like this isn't a downgrade. This is something you're like, man, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to experience it, to go there. If you read the scriptures, you read Revelation, it gives glimpses and it tries to use human language and understanding to explain things we just can't understand because it says in 1 Corinthians 2 that no eye has seen or ear has heard or it's never even entered into the imagination of a man what God has in store for you. Like I can imagine some pretty amazing stuff. It says you haven't even, it hasn't even entered your thoughts. You have no idea. All we know is that, that the scriptures kind of, kind of grasp at it. Like if you read Revelation, it says the streets were as though they were paved with gold. Are they literally paved with gold? I don't know. I think what the scripture is trying to tell you is that the richness and the value of heaven is so obscenely beyond anything you've seen on this earth, it's saying the stuff that human beings in the earth start wars over and backstab one another over and fight over, we use that for pavement in heaven. Ah, we drive on it. It's chip seal. Right? Like it talked about, it talked about like the building materials of heaven. It talked about like great stones and stuff that are in the walls. And again, it's saying, yeah, the stuff that human beings have fought over for, for millennia, we use it for drywall. <laughs> That's nothing. Heaven is amazing. Heaven is our great reward. So how do you set your hope in heaven? Let me ask you, let me say this. A lot of us ask the question in our lives, and it's an okay question. You'll ask the question, if you only had one day to live, how would you live, right? Like it's like Drake, YOLO, right? No, know your audience, 930 crowd. <laughs> YOLO, you only live once. Some of you are teenagers and you're like, you're not cool because we stopped saying that three years ago, right? Okay, maybe more, I, I, I know your audience. Tim McGraw, live like you were dying. Remember that one? Yeah. You know, like if you, what do you do? What would you do? How would you live if you only have one day to live? That's an okay question because it makes you value the year and now. I get it. But the Christian has a way better question. It's not how would you live if you only have one day to live. It's how would you live if your choices today affected your forever and ever and ever? How would you live if you lived always? How would you live right now if you had forever to think about? What would you value? How would you make decisions? How would you go through loss? How would you prioritize your life? What would you do if you thought not about just today, but in fact today is an investment on my forever? Because that's how Jesus spoke about us thinking about it. He said, he said in Matthew 6, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't value treasures on earth. Don't where, where moth and vermin and rust and thieves come in and take. It's, it's a bad investment is what he's saying. He's saying instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that can never fade. He's saying live for the forever, not for the temporary. See, the enemy and this world wants you to live right now, what's right in front of you. And Jesus says, no, 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 think about the long play. And let me just tell you something that might come as a surprise for you. The kingdom of heaven, when it comes to the reward of following Jesus, it is not equal opportunity. You're saying, what? I thought we're all saved by grace. You are saved by grace. Every one of us, we're granted salvation. Or we've been cleansed of all of unrighteousness. We'll enter into the kingdom of heaven forever and ever. But the Bible, Jesus himself also talked about stewardship. And how you live your life right now actually affects your reward forever. It absolutely does. This is what the parable of the talents about, about the one who kind of played it safe with the one and then one had five and he invested it and produced a return. And, and Jesus says, enter into my rest and I'll give you more because you're good with what little you had. Stewardship is a thing. So, so let me say this. I come, from a, I come from a line of preachers and businessmen. 
So I'm going to give you some like preaching financial advice here. Um, my grandfather is a preacher. My other grandfather was an entrepreneur. My dad's a financial planner. All my uncles are preachers. So I, I got this weird thing going on here. When it comes to your retirement, when it comes to your RRSP and how you're going to live, like, like the Christian, do not think about years 65 to 90, Lord willing. Don't think about how you can set yourself up just for those years. Jesus says you are a fool if that's what you're investing your best in. Absolute fool. Don't think about year 65 to 90. Think about year 90 post-death to 9,000. 9 million. Because you have a forever, and this life is a vapor. How would you invest your life if you thought of it like that? You see, this is why this is a practical thing. When you learn how to set your hope, it actually begins to set your priorities. It sets your expectations. It sets your values because you are investing yourself in forever. Let me say to the 30-somethings in my age group or the 40-somethings, you're in the prime of your life. You still have dreams and things you want to accomplish. You're bringing up a family or what have you. What are your values? Where have you set your hope? Because if it's all on the house that you can have right now or the career or climbing the corporate ladder, Jesus says you're a fool, absolute fool. But if you utilize those things as an investment on your forever, if you use them as a stewardship under the glory of God, this is actually how he wants you to live, thinking about forever. Well, maybe, maybe let, me, let me pick on some of the older ones for a minute, out of my age group. You're 65 or you're 60, you're closing in on retirement. Now that you have more time and more money and more freedom than you've ever had in your life, most of you, that's the case, how are you spending it? Are you spending it right here? Doing this or that? Oh, we're going to go do this and we're going to do that. Listen, God loves the fact that you got some freedom and some margin. He wants every blessing in your life to be something that says, wow, God has been good to me. And he doesn't want you, I don't believe in a vow of poverty at all. But if you think that your last 20 years or 30 years on planet earth is all about, oh, well, I just want to go get as much out of it as I can. If you're thinking about what you can get out of the next 30 years, you have the wrong focus. What can you put into the next 30 years? What can you invest into the kingdom of heaven forever and ever and ever? That is to take seriously. That is to set your hope. Now, I know this is hard, and it's hard to get our heads around heaven, because we've not been there. And the, the Bible, again, it, it scrapes at language to try to help us understand it. But maybe, maybe before I close off today, to help us imagine it, maybe we need to kind of picture what will be there and then what won't be there. Look at Revelation 21. Look what, look what it says. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven. This is, how, this is how the Bible ends, by the way. This is how the story ends. For the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. The, the sea represents chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Again, note the glory, note the radiance, note the, the amazing hyperabundance of it all. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. We've found a home and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That, that is such an amazing thought. Because some of you have cried some tears that you think you're going to cry still forever and ever and ever. Like it's amazing how grief can come back, isn't it? Like you thought you were healed and then all of a sudden you had a memory and all, you're crying again. The joy of heaven will be so complete that you won't even cry about the tears of the things. You won't even look back on your life and say, yeah, God, but what about that? What about that season where it felt like you left me? What about that season when I went through that? That hurt. You won't even be doing that. You'll say, God, thank you. This is amazing. Everything is okay now is what, is what that is implying. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. It's gone. It died off. Don't set your hope in things that will perish he who was seated, seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. He said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. Anybody thirsty? I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all of this, an inheritance. 
and I will be their God and they will be my people. Might be easier to imagine heaven by what, what won't be there. We've not been there, so I can't give you a picture of the geography. I can't get you, give you a picture. All we know is that we'll be reunited with loved ones. And some of you, even as I'm talking about this, it's stirring your hope because you want to see some people that you know are there. But beyond that, we, we don't really know, but we can do some deductions and figure out what won't be there. The Bible says, based on what, it, what we've even read here, okay, there'll be in heaven, there'll be no illness, no disease, no decay, no rust, no bruises, no breaks, no scrapes, no loss of sight, no loss of hearing, no aging, no wrinkles, no aches, no pains, no weight issues, no arthritis, no gout, no, no psoriasis. There'll be no hospitals, no prisons, no locked doors, no locks, no oncology ward, no chemotherapy, no heart monitors. Some of y'all are going to be out of, out of job and you'll be happy for it, won't you? No wheelchairs, no canes, no crutches, no work safe, <laughs> no unemployment, no poverty, no joblessness, no divorce court, no orphanages, no food banks, no homeless shelters, no police, no politicians, no failure, no regrets, no embarrassment, no shame whatsoever, no hiding, no posturing, no faking, no fronting, no projecting, no lying, no humiliation, no degradation, degradation, no injustice, no racism, no gangs, no crime, no shootings, no protests, no angry marches and angry mobs, no failure, no regrets, no embarrassment, no insults, no violence, no abuse, no sexual abuse, no accidents, no disasters, no wars, no famine, no sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no crying, no loss, no death, no problems. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Just unimaginable peace, Reward, pleasure, joy, success, satisfaction. The key to the power of the present is hanging your hope in the reality of the kingdom come. Last quick thought and I'll be done. And if I had more time, I'd preach longer on this, but one more, one more thought about hanging your hope in heaven. I talked about some of us have a longing. We all do, a longing for home, don't we? Like, that's why you try to find peace in this life. That's why you make decisions to try to control things because you know you were made for peace. That's home. You also know that you were made for, for reward, for, for satisfaction. That's why we do things like we do. That's why we buy the car. That's why we drink the drink or whatever it is. There's something inside of you, an appetite that says, I was made to feel. I was made to have. I was made to possess. We were. And we will receive that in heaven. But there's one more craving, an appetite that... I believe heaven will satisfy so amazingly. And that is the longing for success, for glory. Every one of us like have this longing in us for meaning. Like you want your life to matter, don't you? Like it's more, you know that life is more than just existing, but you have to have meaning. There has to be, there's something inside of you that says, I was made for a purpose. And so what we do is we live this life trying to find affirmation and validation from people. Some of you do it through social media. You take 10 selfies to try to get just the right thing and you do the duck face and all that. And we all know you don't really look like that. And you do it so that someone will say, nice picture, Right? Or some of you, you don't care about Facebook or whatever. You care about how you look or your appearance. Or maybe you care about your job. That's how you measure yourself. I'm the guy that does this and I've accomplished stuff. Every one of us, we deal with it in a different way because there's a hunger inside of us that was made for glory. You were made to stand in the reception of the affirmation and validation 
of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so one of the ways we turn our hope to heaven is when we realize that we begin to flourish through hope when we realize that heaven is our ultimate success. And that one day the Bible says we'll see Jesus face to face, to face Revelation 22. And Jesus said, even when he talked about the parable of the talents, he said, let me read it. Parable of the talents, Matthew 25, Jesus talking about how this person lived their life and they stewarded their lives well. And it said, his master said to him, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you know your soul was made to hear that? And all of the striving of your life is actually an effort to hear that very thing. Can you imagine? Like, some of you don't deal with it maybe like I do. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an achiever. I just like, I like to accomplish things. God's put it in me. I, but what happens when you're a high achiever is you, you start to look to other people to say, oh, how'd I do? How was it? And you can live for that. But the thought of one day standing in front of Jesus, the cre my creator, I was his idea. My life was his idea. And one day I'll stand in front of him and he'll look me in the eye and he'll say, you did good. Can you imagine the feeling? of absolute glory. When the one, the Bible says, the one that says there's, there's, there's no sun because his glory actually illuminates heaven. When all of the glory of heaven turns its focus to you and says, I watched your life. You did good. You've been faithful over little. Now I'll set you over much. Enter into my joy. Can you imagine that? Where's your hope? Where is your hope? Like, what are you living for? Are you riding the bike of your life, like right here, looking at the, looking at the front tire? Or have you lifted your head and set your mind and set your heart on things above where Christ is seated in heavenly places? Let me pray. Father, thank you today for this truth. And God, teach us to draw strength from the fact that we have a living hope. I hope that's bringing life to us. So God, for the ones like me who get so distracted by temporary things, things that won't last, they're here today and gone tomorrow, Lord, would you help us learn how to set our hope on things above, to, to place our investment and hang our intentions and filter our decisions through the reality that this is not all there is. In fact, what is to come will be so much greater. This will fade and that will last forever. And so Lord, we thank you today that through the blood of Jesus, heaven is our hope and our promise. And we thank you today that we have opportunity to invest ourselves in it. We receive this truth today, Lord. And by your grace, would you help us grow up in it? Bring stability to our lives. Lord, I pray for the one who right now is going through a season of difficulty. Would you lift their heads right now? Psalm 3, you tell us you're the lifter of our heads. Would you're the shield about us. Would you lift heads right now? Give us perspective, give us hope, give us power in the present that will bring us forward to our eternal inheritance. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. amen.